Hello to wherever you are from St. Peter's United Church of Christ in Skokie. Thank you for tuning in to this edition of the Red-Headed Preacher. This will be thank- Transfiguration Sunday. The sermon title, pardon my head cold, the sermon title is Attentive to This as to a Lamp, which keys on the epistle reading as well as the gospel reading. And uh, before going any further, I'd like to invite you to invite the Spirit into the time of listening. Loving God, as we prepare to interact as preacher and lector and listener, may your Spirit move and bless this time of listening as well as the time of preaching that preceded it. Bless those who listen. May they receive something of a blessing out of the time they invest in listening. In Jesus' name, amen. Today is the last Saturday, excuse me, the last Sunday in February, February 23rd. Ash Wednesday is the 26th. I have not given thought about whether or not to uh, record that, uh, but maybe I will. And um, without going any further, I will stop this lengthy introduction and welcome you again and the next voice you should hear is that of Andre Glockner who is our lecture for today our first reading is Exodus 24 verses 12 through 18 the Hebrews have escaped Egypt and are at Mount Sinai Moses has already been given the Ten Commandments but their sojourn there is not over yet The Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and wait there, and I'll give you the tablets of stone with the law and the commandment, for I have written these instructions. So Moses set out with his assistant Joshua, and Moses went up into the mountain of God. To the elders he had said, Wait here for us until we come to you again, for Aaron and Hur are with you. Whoever has dispute may go to them. Then Moses went up on the mountain, and the cloud covered the mountain. The glory of God settled on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it for six days. On the seventh day, he called to Moses out of the cloud. Now the appearance of the glory of God was like a devouring fire on top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. Moses entered the cloud and went up on the mountain. Moses was on the mountain for 40 days and forty nights. This ends the reading from Exodus. Our epistle reading is Second Peter chapter one verses sixteen through twenty one. You will know right away why this passage is also part of the lectionary lectionary readings for Transfiguration Sunday. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of the Lord Jesus Christ but we have been eyewitness to his majesty. For he received honor and glory from God the Father when that voice was conveyed to him by the majestic glory, saying, This is my Son, my beloved, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice come from heaven while we were with him on the holy mountain. So we have the prophetic message more fully confirmed. You will do well to be attentive to this as to a lamp shining in a dark place 
until the dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. First of all, you must understand this, that no prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation, because no prophecy ever came by human will, but men and women moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. This ends the reading from 2 Peter. Our service carries on with an anthem. I'll start with a question. No, it's not that unusual for me. What are some of your most favorite memories? For Beth and me, they probably include parts of our July 2016 trip to Paris, London, and Scotland. And then there were the times our cat Pumpkin, a Tucson original, orange tabby, at the parsonage where we lived when I was the pastor of St. Nikolai, Pumpkin, having waited for the mailman, sitting down, pushing the incoming mail back through the front door slot to the letter carrier outside, who then pushed it back into Pumpkin, who pushed it back again, etc., etc. This was a daily occurrence for a little while. The last time, however, Pumpkin got bored quickly and quit playing. We heard the mail sliding in and out, in and out of the slot by the letter carrier trying to draw him out to play. He said, come on, kitty cat, I don't got all day. Maybe some of your favorite memories uh, come from vacations, uh, times with loved ones, or of an achievement. Here's a different question. What What are some of your most important memories? They do not have to be among your favorites, but could be. Maybe they include your confirmation or getting your driver's license, your first date with whoever became your spouse, or having life-saving surgery. Most important memories. They bring back events or persons or something within your spirit that made a lasting impact on you. My car crash and recovery, which I write about in the March newsletter, that's not among my favorite memories. But it is among my most important ones. What are some of your most significant memories? We want to take care of those lest we forget. Lest we forget. Well, how or why would you or I forget some of our more important, good recollections? And they don't have to be good to be important. Well, aside from any kind of memory loss where we can't help any forgetting, things can happen to us anyway over time uh, where we can get unmoored from those very significant memories and what effect they've had on us. Are we going to forget who we are? Well, again, other than medically, we've seen it happen, I think, on a big scale in different areas. Have we lost touch with some positive, formative memories and narratives and values as a country? If so, that opens up uh, America to becoming something less than its highest ideals. 
Or maybe then it can happen to you and me as individuals over time, to a congregation over time. Not wanting to fall out of the good grip of our important past, we take care that it remains alive and vital and very real. For instance, you could be facing a frightening situation you'd just as soon run away from. You have to call this person or meet with them or do this assignment or go to that place and you stall, often for good reasons because that could be something that could trigger a form of PTSD. But we procrastinate or rationalize our procrastination and we try to tell ourselves we're comfortable with that. And then, that's laying the groundwork, and then Perhaps out of the blue because of forgetfulness, you remember when you were a younger version of yourself who showed courage in another situation. Maybe you confronted your boss or that bully or made that sacrifice for the good of that other kid you knew. And you went ahead and did what was right even without thinking about it very much. Oh, yeah. That was me. That was you. Whatever happened to her? Whatever happened to him? Touching base again. Being recharged again. Sitting in the light of that previous you again. You may find yourself able to move forward after all. How much easier, perhaps, if you or I had been attentive to that recollection as to a lamp. In the darkness. Well, Peter, James, and John were given an out-of-this-world experience at the transfiguration of Jesus. What did they feel at the time? Fear, confusion, wonderment. Hey, let's build three dwellings for you, Jesus, Moses, and Elijah. What the heck? To me, that bespeaks confusion. Well, they were in the neighborhood of the transcendent glory of Almighty God. This Jesus, who we know sometimes lost his temper with them, who healed the sick and fed the hungry, who got dirty walking the streets like they did, welcomed the outsiders, performed miracles, suddenly was something much, much more. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun. And his clothes became dazzling white. Then Moses and Elijah appear also. After suggesting making some tents for them, another word for dwellings, Matthew tells us the glory continued. While he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them. And from the cloud a voice said, This is my son, the beloved, with whom I am well pleased. Listen. To him. And Jesus tells them later to keep that experience under their hats until, he said, after the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. That may not have been among their favorite memories, but it was surely one of their most formative and informative ever. They had been given to see that Jesus was not only a man but also divine, the real Son of God, like that voice from heaven that declared 
God really is glorious. God is bright and dazzling and honors history and invited them to encounter God in that most spectacular and mysterious of ways. Our God is glorious. So often, it seems that we think of God almost like the the Joan Osborne song. What if God was one of us? Just a slob like one of us. Just a stranger on a bus trying to make his way home. Almost. We tend to focus, I think, on the closeness of God, a kind of close to intimate fashion. I'm not saying that's wrong, but it's incomplete. The transfiguration, as well as the book of Exodus reading, tells us that the image of the Lord in that example is lacking. Lacking magnificence of a heavenly dimension that we find in Exodus and the transfiguration. Our God, after all, is the maker of the ends of the universe. Holy, holy, holy. Later, in the early church, the second letter of Peter was written, and we heard Andre read words that profess to be those of Simon Peter. He's recalling that very significant event which shaped the disciples' faith and their lives. For we did not follow cleverly disguised myths, he tells his readers, when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we had been eyewitnesses to his majesty. For he received honor and glory from God the Father when that voice was saying, This is my Son, the Beloved. We ourselves heard this voice come from heaven while we were with him on the high mountain. Peter emphasizes that he and the disciples were there. Twice he says it. We had been eyewitnesses, he wrote them, and then said, We ourselves heard this voice come from heaven. This was a truth of the glory of God and of Christ passed down to his readers from reliable eyewitnesses, in this case, himself. He's sharing that memory and what it means, this memory that changed his faith and his life with them. But he has a strong suggestion that follows. So we have the prophetic message more fully confirmed. You will do well to be attentive to this as to a lamp shining in the darkness until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. You will do well to be attentive to this as to a lamp shining in the darkness until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. The morning star is a biblical symbol in the book of Revelation of Christ himself. Be attentive, he says. Remember, be fantastic stewards of the treasure of these memories. They were not there. These readers were not there. The generations since were not there. And yet he exhorts them to hold on to this. You and I were not there, but we do have the written testimony declared this morning that Jesus Christ is God as well as human, and that there is lasting power and hope 
in his name because of that. So, what are some of your most important memories? Have you ever had an experience remotely like that of those disciples? Or had you an uncle or grandmother who played the role of Second Peter and passed something personally powerful of God unto you? Well, put a pin in that, please, while we take a quick little detour, but important. The important memory of the readings today is God's over-the-top brightness and splendiferousness. But is glory always like that? Is God's glory always like that? I would argue no. Because the Bible tells me so. Let me tell you a story, not from the Bible, at least not yet. I think I shared it once before, some years ago, so it might sound familiar to some. The story comes from surgeon and author, the late Richard Selzer, who in his book, Mortal Lessons, wrote, I stand by the bed where a young woman lies, her face post-operative, her mouth twisted in palsy, clownish. A tiny twig of the facial nerve, the one to the muscles of her mouth, has been severed. She will be thus from now on. The surgeon had followed with religious fervor the curve of her flesh. I promise you that. Nevertheless, to remove the tumor in her cheek, I had to cut the little nerve. Her young husband is in the room. He stands on the opposite side of the bed, and together they seem to dwell in the evening lamplight, isolated from me, private. Who are they, I ask myself, he and this very, this, this wry mouth I have made, who gaze at and touch each other so generously, greedily? The young woman speaks. Will my mouth always be like this? She asks, yes, I say, it will. It is because the nerve was cut. She nods and is silent. But the young man smiles. I like it, he says. It is kind of cute. All at once, I know who he is. I understand and lower my gaze One is not bold in an encounter with a God. Unmindful, he bends to kiss her crooked mouth, and I am so close I can see how he twists his own lips to accommodate hers, to show her that their kiss still works. That's a kind of glory. A glory in love. A glory shown in suffering and solidarity. A kind of glory worth remembering. A kind of genuine, proven grace that glows like a lamp in the darkness to be called upon by them when other darkness pays a long visit. 
In John's Gospel, too, the glory of the love of God in Jesus is not like the dazzling transfiguration, but is glory during suffering, too. In John 12, after coming into Jerusalem for the Passover, his last, Jesus said, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Say what? Shortly after, he told the disciples, now my soul is troubled. And what should I say? Father, take me from this hour? No, it is for this reason I've come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. During the last dinner, after Jesus had washed their feet and Judas left to betray him, Jesus said, now the Son of Man has been glorified, and God has been glorified in him. God will also glorify him in himself and will glorify him at once. If we did not get it yet, before the end of chapter 16, he says that he is leaving the world and going to the Father. But we who know the story already know that he's talking about glory and what is coming next. This glorification was his suffering, his death, and all that came with that. And then, not understood at the immediate time, also his being raised from the dead. This drama we mark every Thursday, Monday, Thursday, and Good Friday is God glorifying Jesus and Jesus glorifying God. Sacrificial love, so painful on so many levels, all the same. And that, along with the transfiguration and the incarnation and what we heard from Exodus and some other places in the Hebrew Scriptures, is the glory of God. It is the lamp of the good news of grace and steadfast, always shining in the darkness. And we must be attentive to that. What are some of your most important memories? I hope they include not merely a memory, but a truth inside your soul, a truth of faith, which brings you back to someone to believe in and cling to in dark, even horrible seasons. A memory, a faith, which grounds you in God's own suffering, but glorious, even triumphant in the end, love. There is glory in the middle of the dark night of the soul. It is not ours, but in faith we have it. It has touched us profoundly, and sometimes we can even forget that. Oh, yeah. When you or I struggle with hope or peace or faith in where in this world our life is going or where this world is going, draw on that oh-so-important faith in the glory of God we can recognize in our contemporary crucifixions, our darknesses, because Jesus knows and glows in that kind of glory too. He overcame, and he overcame for us, and he is the lamp in our lives and in our stories which shines brightly. May it be the most important story of our lives in our faith. And I close with these words 
as I ask you to hear once more what 2 Peter says to us. You will do well to be attentive to this as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Amen and amen. Thank you so much for listening to the Redheaded Preacher podcast of February 23rd, 2020. I apologize that the scriptures, there was a, a technical issue. Um, we thought they had recorded, but once again, they were missed. It was Matthew 17, verses 1 through 9, which is Matthew's version of the transfiguration of Jesus. I do refer to that in the sermon, as you've heard. Thankfully, I also preached and kind of based the sermon in part on the epistle reading. You did get that. So with my apologies, I give you thanks for listening. We'll see if I do a separate one for Ash Wednesday. And once more, may God be with you and have a good week.